join me on stage right now are Aaron and Allison Ferguson. And you might see a little uh, handout in your handout, a little insert in your handout uh, on Aaron and Allison as they have just joined us here this past week. Aaron is our new pastor of college and young adult ministries. So that's for all of those in the audience today, kind of the 18 to 30 range. And uh, anyone who here today might know someone in that range as well. You're going to want to get to know Aaron and, uh, and Allison. And we are so excited to have you guys here. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. They came in from Texas this past weekend and arrived here on Monday. We won't hold that against you from Texas. Uh, that's a cheap joke. Sorry. <laughs> uh, came in from Texas on Monday. Their first day in the office was Wednesday. And here they are Sunday morning. We had a great time of interviewing with Aaron and Allison probably five, six weeks ago. And our elder board, our, our staff, our search team was all unanimous in recommending that we call Aaron and Allison to, to this position. And thank you, Lord, they said yes. So would you give a warm welcome to Aaron and Allison Ferguson? Aaron, would you share a little bit with the church about what you're excited about with this position, with uh, C20, College and Young Adult, we have Central Community College and UNK here in town. What got you excited about this position in this place? Yeah, one of the things that God had been working on my heart as I've been serving in student ministry for the majority of my 14 years of ministry is this sense of being able to influence the next uh, part of after high school, what's next, or for young adults. And you know, we met as young singles, as young adults, and we could sense that there's a great need and that we could fill that need as ministry leaders. And uh, we know that UNK has got this amazing opportunity, lots of students there, and then also the young adults here in the uh, Kearney area. And we, we saw that there's a great opportunity to reach people there, and, and we wanted to jump on that. And then also the sense of uh, this church and what God is doing in this church and then the leadership through the, the pastors here in the sense of that everyone belongs and everyone matters. And we wanted to be a part of that, and we wanted to share that good news with uh, folks here in the city. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we're grateful that you're here and appreciate that you already understand to some degree the DNA of our church and what we're going after. Uh, he notes that every person matters, and we want to be about that with our college and young adults. We want to be that across the church, every demographic, every person who comes into this assembly. So... Uh, we're really, really grateful to have you here. Uh, Allison also has a wonderful position that has come her way, uh, which she has earned, and we trust at the same time God has given to her. Could you tell us a little bit about the, this position that, that you've been offered and what you'll be doing this fall? Yeah, so um, most of my career has been in education on, in several different capacities, and so I applied for an English position at, uni at the university, <laughs> at uh, Kearney High School, and I was offered that position the day I interviewed, which was really exciting, and it's really cool because, you know, I'd been looking for jobs as we started to lean more and more towards this idea of moving to Kearney, and um, nothing was really available at the high school, um, so like the day after we accepted this position at the church, I went online, and there was an English posting, I applied. I got the job. It was just crazy, and I know that was not me, uh, and God was definitely opening doors for us left and right to make this transition away from our home. You know, we've both grown up in Texas, and um, coming to this new place, it's just um, the favor that he's shown us with the people we've met in the church, and our job opportunities has been really amazing, so we're very thankful, and I'm excited to, to start in August, so. Hmm. How about that story? Pretty good stuff, huh? 
Well, you'll have an opportunity to connect with Allison and Aaron right after service. They're here with us. But then also, May 6th, if you're in that 18 to 30-year range, we would uh, invite you to put this on your calendar. Our next C20 gathering will be on May 6th. Normally, C20 meets on the second Sunday of the month, but that's Mother's Day. And uh, so we're going to move that up a week to the first Sunday in May. And uh, we'll be meeting out at the fire pit, and uh, Aaron will lead some of that, but also there will be a time for games and activities and barbecue, and there's a common theme of eating together here this morning. So if you're in that 18 to 30-year range, we'd love for you to, to join us for that. If you're a college student or, or you're looking into that even in the future, you'd be welcome to come join Aaron and Allison, go get to know them. And many others on the C20 leadership team, others that have been involved well with that ministry across this entire year. So uh, love for you to come out for that evening, May 6th. And until that time, I'd ask that you would pray for Aaron and Allison. It's obviously a big change when you move from another state and you leave your family that's in another state. And I did that here two and a half years ago. And my wife and I can testify to the fact that you have blessed us. And we are so thankful for that. This church has been such a great gift, such a great blessing to us as we've left our families and come here as we believe the Lord has called us to that. And we also believe that God has brought Aaron and Allison for that very same purpose. And so we're asking, would you pray for them? Would you? All right. All right. Good. Let's pray right now. I, I think I saw their heads nodding. <laughs> I think they're going to be, yeah, okay. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Aaron and Allison. We are so grateful for your work in their lives, for calling them to this place Thank you for the work that you've done in them over these previous years. You've used them for great ministries together in a number of different locations, and we are grateful for that, Lord. Now, there's this emotional weight to moving, and I ask God that you'd shepherd them personally. You'd care for them as they make this Kearney, Nebraska, their new home. I pray, God, that you bring many wonderful people in their lives, that they would quickly find community, but also you'd use them to help others find community. Use them to help others Find Christ Jesus as Lord, the King. I pray, God, that you would unite them with their C20 leadership team and you would bless Allison as she makes a great, great difference at Kearney High School. Go before her as she takes on this teaching position. Go before Aaron as he takes on this leadership position here at the church and seeks to build up our C20 ministries. We have a great history here of reaching college students in our community. And so we ask, God, that you would do it again. Would you move the mountains? Would you do it again for, for these guys and for college students? We can't wait to see what you're going to do in the college and young adults ministries here at Carney E. Free in the years to come. To you be all glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, guys. Well, good morning. So great to be with you today. So grateful for the good things that God is doing in our church. And man, I've really enjoyed this, this series, Tuned In. I hope it's been helpful for a few of you. It's been, it's been beneficial for me. What we've been doing, if you're new here this morning, is um, examining this idea that we see many times in the Scriptures that God could nudge us in a certain way, that God could prompt us, that He might even occasionally have a message for us that leads us to go this way and, and not that way. This morning what I'd like to do is share a number of foundational principles, and the first few will be review from the last two Sundays, but a number of foundational principles for staying tuned in to the voice of God and being able to discriminate when actually is it the voice of God and 
when is it the bad pizza that I ate? And then in addition, I'd like to share a few stories that I find inspiring around this topic. Let me start there. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to Dr. Sharon Bond here at our church, and uh, Dr. Bond is one of our prayer partners on Sunday morning. She's regularly up front praying with folks. She's just a prayer warrior. She takes any opportunity she can to bathe other people in prayer. She's seen many, many miracles happen in her practice as a physician. And uh, she's one of the, the busier people I know. If you want an appointment with Dr. Bond, you can probably get in in about 16 years. <laughs> but even so, as busy as she is, she's developed this practice of listening prayer that we've talked about a little bit over these past couple of weeks where we go before God and we just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I open up my scriptures, I open up my journal, and, and God, what is it that you want to teach me right now? And she did that a couple weeks ago, and as she did, she asked God the question, what is it that you want to tell me today? That's a good question to ask. What do you want to tell me today, Lord, as I read the scriptures, as I have my journal here, as I have this prayer time what is it that you want to tell me today? And as she was sitting there listening to the Lord, she heard this whisper, this sense that God was saying, swing low, sweet chariot. So, wow, what's that? And she looked up, swing low, sweet chariot. And she learned that it's a famous African-American spiritual song that African-Americans sang during the days of slavery, during the years of slavery. Swing low, sweet chariot, come and forward, carry me home. And as she did a little Google search, she wasn't familiar with that song, so she knew it wasn't her internal voice. It wasn't her internal message. She didn't know the song. And so she did the Google search, and she learns the words to it. She, she thinks, well, maybe God's coming for me. Maybe he's going to take me home to heaven, and I need to be prepared for that. And again, she just trusted that this was from God because she didn't know this song herself. Well, fast forward a couple days. And two days later, her beloved 92-year-old mother passed away. And Jesus swung low on that sweet chariot, coming forward to carry her mother home. And Sharon told me that was the comfort of God to me. Over those two days, and then thereafter, to know that God would give me this whisper to care for me as I was moving into this place of great need where I was going to lose my mother and now I am dealing with the fact that I have lost my mother. I'm grieving that. I have this memory now of God personally caring for me and speaking to me at my heart's most basic need as I'm grieving my mother's passing. How cool is that? Do you believe that God could do that? I mean, what a testimony to the truth that there is a God that invites us to a personal relationship with Him. Now, I'll never share a story like that without someone's permission, but after Sharon told me that, I asked her, could I share that well with the congregation? And she, she of course, said yes. And I, I pray that's encouraging to you because this is part of what God invites us to, is a two-way conversation a personal relationship, and again, I for one can't make sense of a personal relationship with God outside of two-way communication. 
Let me reinforce here a number of the foundational principles that we've been talking about over these previous weeks. The vision of the spiritual life is this. The primary goal of the spiritual life is not that we would hear the voice of God. That's a secondary goal. The primary goal of the spiritual life is that we would become mature people of faith in loving relationship with God. And out of that loving relationship with God, we might sometime get a still quiet voice, a nudging that leads us this way as opposed to this way. The primary goal is that God would make us into living worshipers who say, I want to be a living sacrifice unto you today, God. Each and every day I give myself completely unto you. Would you use me for your glory? Would you use me for your purposes? And the great commandment, of course, is to love God with all we got and then love others as ourselves and then to practice the great commission to tell others of his astounding, unbreakable, nonstop, never giving up love. That we would do that on a daily basis and we'd engage in this long obedience in the same direction and if we're doing that, you can know that you are moving toward maturity. This is the vision that God has for us. And sometimes out of that, we will indeed hear the voice of God, but that's the byproduct, not the purpose, not the goal. Second, being still with God precedes hearing from God. Jesus says to us, abide in me and I will abide in you. It begins with choosing that I'm going to be still in the presence of God. I will wait for him. I will commune with him. I will enjoy him. The simple truth is that some of us get so busy working for God that we mistake working for God for being with God. Let me say that again, because it's a common danger. We're going to do a volunteer appreciation tonight, and I'm so glad that we are, because we have the very best volunteers, some of whom are doing so much ministry, it's incredible, but I pray that you never mistake working for God for being with God. Serving God is secondary to being with God, and so also hearing from God is secondary to just abiding in God, being with God. That's why the scriptures tell us, be still and know that I am God. Be still in my presence and know that you are safe with me. Psalm 37, 7 likewise says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is just an anecdote. I didn't mention this in the first service. But if you just get busy working for God, you will burn out. I promise you, you will burn out. If you're in ministry or if you do a ton of volunteerism for the church and you just get busy working for God, seeing all these things that you have to do for Him, you'll burn out. We need to be constantly connected to the nourishing sap of the vine, abiding in Him and then His words abide in us. Which leads us to number three. We enter into the Word of God and then God's words enter into us. Now that's just Christian slang for we enter into the the words of the Bible. We bring the words of scriptures into our mind and into our hearts. We meditate on them. We chew on them. We sit in the Psalms. We sit in the stories of Jesus. They become real for us. Then they begin to enter into our lives and they start to change us from the inside out. The word of God is that powerful for us that it becomes like bread. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So also, the scripture tells us that his word is sweeter than like honey from a honeycomb. It's more valuable than purest gold or finest rubies. 
So you find those choice morsels of Scripture that really point to you, that speak to your identity in Christ and speak to your place of need, and, and you begin to apply those to your life, and, and, and the Word of God just has a way of getting into us and changing us. Now, all of that is review. I, I anticipated that as we began this series, I would get some objections to certain uh, things, certain points, certain ideas that we've been communicating in this series. I really haven't got them. It's been a little bit of a surprise for me. It shouldn't have been because we don't have a picky church here. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I'm so grateful we don't have a picky church. We have a church that majors on the majors and minors on the minors, and we are so grateful for that. A church that's open-minded to the things of God and wants to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Please teach us far from your word. But I still expected that as we talked about these themes, perhaps there would be some objections around this idea of a two-way conversation with God or experiencing a subjective impression of God's voice. Or all this emphasis on hearing from the Holy Spirit. But it's very, been very interesting to me. I, didn't, I haven't received any of those emails. I haven't received any of those objections. The only objection that I've received in this series has come from a couple different avenues, a couple different angles, and it's gone something like this. Adrian, that's great that you have time to pray and to read your scriptures every day, but my life is too busy for that. You know, that's, that's wonderful that you meditate on the Word and that you memorize the Scriptures, but I just don't have time for that, Adrian. My kids keep me going so busy, and you can't believe how full my life is. And I'm not like you pastors who sit around reading your Bibles and praying and sitting on your prayer chairs like this all day, which last time I checked, mm, it's not really happening like that for me. We all have the same amount of time in the day. Last time I checked. Isn't that true? We all have the same 24 hours each day. Last time I checked. The question is, do you live your days with vision? And then do you live your days with intention? And then do you live your days with discipline? That's the question. We all have the same amount of time some of us simply choose to fill up our time with a variety of stuff that is devoid of vision, intention, and discipline. Listen to how Pastor Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, author of The Purpose Driven Life, summarized this so beautifully. It's a longer quote, but here now. The reason why most people never hear God speak is that they never slow down enough to let God talk to them. Hurry is the death of prayer. Let me say that again. Hurry is the death of prayer. You've got to slow down. You've got to be quiet. You've got to wait expectantly. The best way to do this is if you get up a little earlier so you're not rushed and you're able to spend some time and start your day with God. If I told you that tomorrow at 4 a.m. the Queen of England, the President of the United States, and the Pope all wanted to meet with you privately, you probably wouldn't even go to bed tonight. You'd take a bath. You'd probably take two baths. You go find an all-night barber or beauty salon. You get a new suit or outfit, and you get all spiffed up. You'd be at that meeting 30 minutes early. Guess what? The creator of the universe wants to meet with you tomorrow morning. 
You don't even have to get dressed up. You can be in your PJs. You don't even have to leave your home, but you do have to plan an appointment. That means you have to stop doing something so you can start doing what God wants. You've got to decide what's more important to you. Another 30 minutes of entertainment time in the evening or time with God every morning. Woo! That kind of hits it, doesn't it? What an arrow. You got to decide what's most important to you and have that, visit, that vision and that discipline to get there. Now, I would add, not that I'm one to disagree with Rick Warren, but I would say it doesn't matter if it's the morning time. We sometimes make an idol out of the morning time in Christian circles. Like, that's the one time that you have to meet with God. It can be noontime. It can be after work. It can be a break that you take from work. It can be in the evening time, but before you go to bed. I would say whatever is your best rhythm, whatever time you can give God your very best energy, give him that. 15, 20 minutes, 15, 30 minutes in that time. Give him your very best energy. And can I tell you that in the end, your husband and your wife will thank you for taking those 15 to 30 minutes. Maybe not immediately, but I promise you, within a year's time, your husband will thank you for taking 30 minutes a day to meet with him because you'll be a different person. Within a year's time, your wife will thank you for taking 30 minutes to meet with him because you'll be a different person. Within a year, your kids will say thank you to you. Well, maybe they won't say thank you to you. Maybe your kids won't say thank you to you. But your kids will be indebted to you. Your kids will be indebted to you because they will see that's what it looks like to live a life of vision. That's what it looks like to prioritize your life in the midst of all of the busyness. Your kids will learn that they cannot demand all of your time enslave all of your time. Kids have to learn that they're not the center of attention. And what a good thing it is for our kids to learn that I will not be with you during the 15, 20 minutes and you can occupy yourself over here because I am spending time with my creator and my redeemer. And can I just warn you as your pastor, as your brother, that the decisions you make today will determine the fruit that grows from your branches tomorrow. The decisions you make today will determine whether tomorrow there will be the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control coming off these branches tomorrow or not. As the saying goes, we make our decisions and our decisions make they make us. That's just the way it goes. We make our decisions, and then in time, certainly not immediately, but definitely over a year or two, those decisions wind up making us. So we enter into the Word of God, and slowly but surely, the Word of God will enter into us. We pray, we meditate on the Word, we practice Lectio Divina, we, we do the memorization of Scripture, you go on prayer walks, you, you journal, whatever it is that helps you meet with God, it'll be different for every one of us, but you identify those tools, and we consistently do those, and they become means for us to commune with God, and occasionally receive the voice of God, which becomes the salve for our souls. That's what Sharon experienced there. She experienced the medicine of God for her soul just when she needed it because she had already had the proactive practice of meeting with God. 
Now, two more principles for this morning are these. God whispers through honest prayer, through the Bible. We've talked about that already. Through honest prayer and through the Bible, but also through our pleasures, our pains, and through other people. These are a few other means that God will sometimes utilize to nudge us in our lives. And this truth is found all over the scriptures that God wants to personally speak to you, wants to personally care for you. Listen to just a sampling of these. 1 Kings 19, 12, and 13, we've talked about this at length already, but it says, after the fire came, a still quiet voice. Elijah's on the mountainside, he's meeting with God, there's, there's a fire, there's a wind, there's an earthquake, and God's not in any of those big signs. But he's in the still, quiet voice, which in Hebrew is damama. And damama means calm or silence. God was in the silence for Elijah in that moment. And Elijah knew it, so he hid his face and he bows down and he worships God. And God met him there and gave him a message there. So also 1 Samuel 3, 9 says, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And so God speaks to Samuel in this moment. John 10, 3 and 4, these are the very words of Jesus. He says, the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. We're the sheep and we get to follow the shepherd because we know his voice. And we're able to discriminate between his voice and the voice of the enemy. We've practiced that. When he, the spirit of truth, John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us, he'll convict us, he'll comfort us, he'll say, Adrian, go this way, don't go that way, Adrian. If we're asking and communing with him. One more example. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Does anyone in this room lack wisdom? Okay, I like it. You guys are so more responsive in the first service. Good job. You're my favorite service. <laughs> it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, like that's all of us. At one time or another, we should have the humility to admit we all sometimes lack wisdom. Well, thank you, Lord. We can ask God for wisdom. And he gives generously to all who ask without finding fault. Whatever you've done in the past, however you failed in the past, if you humble yourself and say, God, would you please give me wisdom right now? I repent of my sins. I confess my sins. I remove the blockage between me and you because of my sin, and I ask you for wisdom. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit will give it to you. The Holy Spirit will give wisdom and comfort, and he'll convict, and he'll empower, and he'll simply love us through honest prayer, through the Bible, through our pleasures, through our pains and through other people. Well, let's just talk for just a moment here. Let me dialogue with you for a moment about pleasure and about our desires. It wasn't that long ago in certain corners of the Christian church, it was said, uh, if you desire something or if you take pleasure in something, it's a sin. And so there would be this question like someone's trying to figure out, is this the will of God for my life? And the, the common question was, well, did you take pleasure in it? And if the answer was yes, then the response was, it wasn't God's will, it was sin. Does anyone remember that? Were you raised with that at all? Raise your hand. 
Okay, not too many, but a few in this room were raised with some of that. That if you, if you took pleasure in it at all, it was sin. Can I tell you that God himself would have failed that test? Because God created the earth. And after each day, after each epoch of creation, he paused and what did he say? He said, mmm, that was good. Mmm, I enjoy that. I enjoy what I just made. And then at the sixth day, he makes people made in his image and likeness, and he says, mmm, very good. And do you know that when God made each and every one of you, he paused and he said, mmm, very good. And he took pleasure in what he did making you. And you might even be an accident to someone else here on this earth, but you are purposed by God. God took pleasure in making you. He paused and he said, mmm, very good. And so all of our pleasures are not bad. The question is, are we going to use the things that we desire, our talents, our passions, our pleasures, are we going to use them for ego satisfaction or for God's satisfaction? Will we use our pleasures and our passions for ego satisfaction and wanting to appeal to other people and gain their approval? Or do we use them and say, God, I want to use this which you have given to me. Use the talents that you have given me for your satisfaction, for your glory, not to make my name known, but for you to be more famous in this world. And if we do that, then we will take great pleasure in what God has given us. He might have given you the ability of, of working with your hands, construction, or artwork, or it might have made you a teacher, or very good at medicine, or made you to be really good with working the land, to be a farmer, or maybe God's calling you into ministry, and I can assure you, whatever it is that God equips you to do, whatever he calls you to do, whatever he gives you talents to do, you will take pleasure in it. And if you don't take pleasure in it, you won't last in it. That's just the way it is. So the question is, do I do this? Do I use these talents that God has given? Do I use these passions, these pleasures that God has given for his glory or for me to be praised, for my glory? The truth is, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Ooh, what a word. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think what that means is that over time, as you are delighting yourself in the Lord, as I'm de delighting myself in God, slowly, more of God's will becomes our will. And we find great joy in Him being glorified. We find great joy in His name being proclaimed, His name being known throughout the world. And God will whisper to us as we take pleasure in that. I think C.S. Lewis put it best in World War II. He was doing a series of radio broadcasts for the British Broadcasting Company. These were public radio fireside chats, if you will, seeking to console the heart of Great Britain in the midst of war. And he said this, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our experiences, and he shouts to us in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So God does whisper to us in our pleasures for sure, but he has a particular megaphone that's called pain, doesn't he? Here's how James, the half-brother of Jesus, put it. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance. And then perseverance must finish its work so you may be 
mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Now, real quick, honest survey. Who considers it pure joy as you're going through trials? None of us do. None of us do. Fortunately, it doesn't say to us, consider it pure joy that you're going through those trials. It says, consider it pure joy when you're going through trials of various kinds. And here's why. They will produce something in you that can't be produced any other way. Perseverance, endurance, empathy, compassion. I'm telling you, your quotient to be compassionate with other people, to be gentle and empathetic with other people, goes up in proportion to the amount of pain that you've experienced as you surrender that to God. Not if you go like this through your pain, but as you're like this through your pain. God will use that to change us, to produce in us people of character and hope that we could not be any other way but through the cauldron of suffering. And when we are in the cauldron of suffering, that is the specific time that God seems to have us most tuned in to Him if we are open-minded to hear His voice. And so through suffering, maybe some of you are in it right now, you say, God, speak, Lord, for I, your servant, I'm listening. What is it that you want to tell me? And frequently, God will whisper to us right there. Another couple in our church were sharing with me last week uh, some of their experiences. And again, I, I got their permission to share this story, but um, they went through the very brutal pain of infertility for several years. They were crying out to God, asking for a child, and they weren't able to have one. And as they were crying out for God, the man of the house had this conviction that he needed to bury himself in the Psalms, because the Psalms are like people's honest language to God, their honest prayers to God. And David says some things that are unsavory in the Psalms, if you haven't been able to tell yet, because he's speaking honestly to God. He's expressing his anger and his sadness, his disappointment to God. And then in the process of doing so, God conforms his heart back to the Father. Uh, John Calvin said, the Psalms are an inventory of the human soul. Any experience you have on earth can be mirrored in the Psalms. So maybe you're going through suffering right now. I'd encourage you to be in the Psalms. That's what this man did for a number of years. And as he was immersing himself in the Psalms with his cries to God, he started to hear this whisper, idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. Well, what's that? And he realized as he was studying the Psalms and hearing this whisper of God that he had made having a baby into an idol in his heart. That it replaced the worship of God, that it had become the main thing in his life. And idolatry is substituting anything else for the worship of God. And he came to this realization that having a child had become that for him. And as he navigated through that and prayed through the Psalms, eventually over the course of time, God took that idol out of his heart and he was free just to worship God. And can I tell you that God gave him a baby? Now, I'm not telling you a recipe. I'm not speaking to others in this room who have gone through infertility. There is no recipe. I wish there was. I wish there was. 
But there is no recipe for that. What I am telling you is this was this man's experience. And he took it to God, and God whispered to it to him in it, and he had idolatry removed from his heart, so he became, became more of a man of character and more of a full-throated worshiper, which he is today, through that cauldron of suffering. Friends, there's things that God can teach you, if you're willing, through suffering that cannot be had any other way. So consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because the testing of our faith will develop for us perseverance and character and hope and all the rest. One final principle this morning goes like this. God's word plus Christian community is the litmus test. This simple equation, God's word plus Christian community equals the litmus test for all of our experiences. If you know your Bible well, the New Testament is a series of letters after the Gospels of Jesus. You have a series of letters that are written from individual apostles or disciples to individual churches in Ephesus or in Rome or in Corinth or Jerusalem, written by men by the names of Peter and James and Paul. And these letters are really, really significant for a number of different reasons, but one of them is they're written from a pastor's heart to a collection of people that was usually about... 25 to 50 people in a local house church. And folks would gather in a house church or in a synagogue, and maybe in the city of Ephesus, for example, you'd have five or six different house churches and synagogues that are meeting together of 25 people each, and they would get the letter from Paul or from John to the church of Ephesus, and one would read it, and they would circulate it to the next one. But each individual house church was a community that was responsible for receiving the word of God, studying it together, and then bearing one another's burdens with each other, praying for each other, building each other up, which sounds a whole lot like what we call a, a life group, right? I, I mean, a small group of people coming together to receive the truth that hopefully you got on Sunday morning, receive the gospel you got on Sunday morning, but then dialoguing about it together, sharing what confused you, sharing what didn't make sense to you, praying for one another, bearing each other's burdens, and holding each other up. That's what they were about. Now, over time, the church grew, and as it grew, it needed to become more organized, and as it grew some more, it needed beautiful buildings like we have here, which I'm so grateful that we have here. But it started off as these little communities that encouraged each other and kept each other accountable because the Christian life is too difficult to do in isolation. There's no room for Lone Ranger Christians. I consider it so vital to be in life group community, a small group community, be it Men's Forge or a Women's Bible Study or a traditional life group, whatever it is, for at least a couple reasons. Encouragement and accountability are at the very top. You see, there are times that I might go off the rails. I might have a dream, for example, that I'm a really good juggler, and I happen to like juggling. So I go and I tell my life group friends, I think I'm going to go on a juggling tour to make some extra money on the side. And hopefully, Sean and Brandon and Brent and Kevin, the guys in my life group, really love me enough to say, Adrian, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> like, Adrian, what did you eat for lunch today? I'm pretty sure that wasn't the Holy Spirit 
I'm pretty sure it was the bad pizza you ate for lunch today. And they correct me and they move me back to where I need to go. And we all need someone like that in our lives. Or whatever it might be for you, you have a difficult day at work or you're really struggling with some temptation. Or for me, sometimes Sunday morning doesn't go as well as I would like. I feel like a subpar Sunday morning, I get the Sunday afternoon blues, and there are times that I feel like quitting. And fortunately, I have one of these guys in my life that reminds me, one Sunday does not make a pastor, Adrian. Get up off your rear, let me pray for you, let me encourage you, let's bear each other's burdens here, and let's move together in the same direction of Christ. This is what's going on through all the one another's in Scripture. In those New Testament letters, there's 42 one another's. Our pastor of life groups and care ministries, John Watson, tells me, 42 one another's. Listen to this one from Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So what that's saying is we're all naturally going to be filled with something. He uses wine, but he could use anything. We're going to be filled with something. He says, don't be filled with that. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And as you're filled with the Spirit of God, you can speak into one another's lives with psalms. That's Scripture. With spiritual songs. That's words of encouragement. You build each other up. We all need this encouragement and accountability. So if I was to summarize and break this down as it relates to being tuned in to God's voice, I would close with this, these two questions. What does the Bible say about that? And what do other sober-minded Christians who love you, who care about you, what do they say about that experience? And we want to get in the habit of running all of our personal experiences that we think came from God through those two filters. What does the Word of God say, and what do other sober-minded Christians have to say about this which I believe came from God? Because the Word of God is transcendent. It's objective. It's always true, whether we feel it or not. So you take your experiences and you run them through the filter of the Word of God. Unfortunately, far too often people are taking the Word of God and running it through the filter of their experiences. That's a bad idea. That leads to terrible consequences because our experiences are notoriously unreliable. Always take your experiences that you think are from God and run them through the filter of Scripture, and that will tell you whether it's actually from God or not. And then if you're so emotionally wrapped into it, that's all the more reason to bring it to a couple friends and say, hey, what do you think? A couple others who are not emotionally involved in it and say, do you think this came from the Lord or not? Would you pray about this with me? Do you have any counsel for me? I'll close with, well, one more story and, and wrap up here. Uh, probably 17, 18 years ago, uh, this is a great illustration of what I'm talking about. 17, 18 years ago, when I was first got getting into ministry, though, there was a pastor who took me under his wing. His name was Pete Richardson. And Pete was pastor of men's ministries, and he did a number of things for men at the church though, that I was attending at the time. But one of the things he did was spend about 20 hours of concentrated time with individual men that he thought had leadership potential. And he, for some reason, saw potential in me that I didn't see in myself. But he took me aside, and for 20 hours across four or five months, we met together for an hour, of a, for an hour at a time 
over the course of four or five months. And at the end of that time, I had this booklet that I took away with a number of key markers where God had moved in my life and brought me into a place that perhaps I would be going into the ministry. He did that with a number of other men. And there's one guy though, that he did it with that I remember right now who finished up his 20 hours, and at the end of the 20 hours of processing through the various experiences of life and the gifts and the passions that God had given, uh, Pete says to him, so what's your next step? What are you going to do from here? What's your application out of all of this? And he said, well, you know, I've been praying about this a whole lot, and as you know, I've had some real trouble in my marriage, and as we've been struggling in our marriage, and I've been bringing all this to the Holy Spirit, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me permission to leave my wife. Oh, okay, Pete said. Tell me a little bit more about that. Why do you think that? Did she have an affair that, you're, that you weren't familiar with over these past six months that we've been talking about? Uh, no, no, it's nothing like that. We just haven't seen eye to eye for quite some time. And in the meantime, I've started having lunch with an, another woman. And my heart has kind of gotten connected to her, and her heart has gotten connected to me. And I just realized that I'm with the wrong person, and I need to be with this woman. And we are more simpatico in our relationship. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my wife. The Holy Spirit's given me permission to do that so I can go get with this other woman. What do you say? Is that the whisper of God? Pete said, let me take out my spiritual two-by-four right now. And hit you over the head with my spiritual two by four. Which he did. He just buried him in this moment with scripture saying, what you are thinking is from the enemy. That is not the voice of God that you're listening to right now. And he prayed with them. And he walked with them. So let's go in a different direction. This is not from the Lord. Now my question for you is this. Do you have another man or woman in your life who has permission to use the spiritual two-by-four on you? Do you? And if you don't, what are you going to do to bring that man or woman into your life? We all have this tendency to get isolated or independent, or maybe stuck in our introversion, and we say, that's not really for me. I can't get a part of Men's Forge, or a life group, or a women's study. We can't do this alone, my friends. We cannot do this alone. Being a Christian is too difficult. Two small sacrifices that are worth making are getting the Word of God into us for 15 minutes every day, and finding a few others in a small group once every week or two that we meet with, who bear our burdens, who we are accountable to, who encourage us, who pray for us, who keep us on our rails, and vice versa. This isn't your pastor saying, oh, I I want this from you. Here's one more thing that I want from you. It's not that at all. This is your pastor saying, I want this for you. We need this. I don't want anything from you. I want this for you. 
that we would become oak trees rooted in the word of God, closely connected to a few friends who have our back and we have theirs. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, I thank you that during a number of times in my life when I've ventured into isolation and I've uh, just wanted to kind of do it by myself, and sometimes I've, I've gone there because of pride, just thinking I'm stronger than other people. I thank you, God, that you rattled me and you showed me that I need other people in my life. And I thank you, Lord, for providing that. For the guys around me in my life group, for other pastors here in this room even, I confess to you that I need it. I am not a strong man by myself. I'm a weak man by myself. But your power is made perfect even in my weakness. And you've determined that I would be built up through the help of other brothers who accept me as I am and point me in the direction of true north toward Christ. And I suspect I'm not alone. So for other friends in this room who have ventured into isolation, God, would you speak to them? Would you whisper right now? It's dangerous to go there. Maybe you need to make a decision right now. I don't know what God's doing in this room, but I have this sense as I'm listening to the Holy Spirit while I preach this morning that He's doing something. Do you need to make a decision right now to come out of isolation, to come out of independence, to come out of your introversion and enter into community, to take that risk? If that's you, would you raise your hand? There ain't no one looking at you. No one but me. If that's you, just raise your hand. Yes, thank you. Okay, thank you, thank you. see a bunch of hands up. Thank you, yes, thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you. Now, don't, don't just stop there. Go out to our life group table when we're done and say, I, I need to get connected. Please help me. And we'll do whatever we can to help you get connected. You, you got to take that courageous step. You can't silence the Holy Spirit. You got to listen to the Holy Spirit and take that step. There could be others in this room who say, the truth is, Adrian, I have told you again and again, I've told God again and again, I'm too busy for a prayer chair as you describe it, Adrian. I'm too busy for that. And you say, I, I need to create a window. I need to create a time and a place to meet with God. Has the Lord whispered that to you? If so, would you raise your hand? Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Again and again, all over the room. God, would you give these folks the courage to follow through with that and write it on the calendar to make that appointment as they would with the United States President or the Queen of England or the Pope or whoever it might be, whoever they look up to, that they'd make that appointment to meet with you, the living God, knowing that you'll have us. Thank you, Jesus, that you'll have us. We say to you, speak, Lord, for we, your servants, we're listening.